Happy Holidays, Cinephiles, and welcome to a very special re-release of a Cinephile holiday classic, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, this year, Steve and I decided to do some new intros for each of the releases. We're going to keep them short, and we're going to keep them pretty standard. So if you've already heard this intro, in case you're listening out of order, we just want to tell you, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thank you so much for supporting the uh, Cinephiles for another year. Uh, and we love bringing you these episodes every year in terms of Christmas episodes. And we hope you're enjoying the ones we are bringing in with Holiday Inn and White Christmas. And this one goes all the way back to 2017. So the movie reviews were not quite as long as they are today. But this still was a wonderful conversation about a true Christmas classic. Yeah. So sit back, relax, put on some hot cocoa, I guess. Uh, get some gingerbread cookies. Uh, and uh, make sure you tug on that beard uh, and find out if that's really Kris Kringle and enjoy Miracle on 34th Street. And if he is the person he believes himself to be, just as you are, then he's just as sane. Granted, but he isn't. Oh, but he is, Your Honor. Is what? I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Welcome to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, host, producer, writer, all kinds of things uh, here in California. And today, I've brought John to see my beautiful Christmas tree. It's, I'm sitting here in the living room looking at your Christmas tree, which is perfect for what we're going to talk about today. So it's putting me right in the right mood. Because what we're going to talk about is Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. It's our second Christmas film. We did It's a Wonderful Life already. Yeah. And It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite. Right. Both by, of our favorites. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, by far. Mm -hmm. And this, is, I think, is the other great classic Christmas film. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's a strong statement. Of, of, of the era, you know, okay. from back in the day. I some mean, there's people, like, some people argue White Christmas. White Christmas. Or Holiday, Holiday Inn. Inn. Yeah, there are yeah. arguments. Yeah, sure. You're saying that cinephiles have arguments? <laughs> <laughs> about... I don't know. I don't know if I could say what my second. Well, I'm not I saying it's the second. second is. I, I don't know if it's my second favorite, but it is uh, the second of the classic era yes, to me. Fair, that's that's, that's fair. why I would put it. Sure, absolutely. Um, you remember how you first came to it? Um, yes, three hours ago. What? Yes, I watched it. <laughs> I watched it for this episode of The Cinephiles. I've never seen the movie before. Wow. I, how did I, you avoid it? I don't know. I'd seen, you know, I'd seen it in passing, like scenes or a couple of like on the guide, but I never clicked on it and watched it. So uh, it wasn't something that I necessarily gravitated to. And uh, I guess I'm just waiting for the excuse. I always say to myself, I'm going to watch it, I'm going to watch it, and never quite find the mood. And I was kind of in the mood last year when I was going to watch it with someone I was right. dating, but it didn't quite get there. And to watch it for the cinephiles, that's because I wasn't meant to watch it with that person. I was meant to watch it for the cinephiles. It's, it's so great because I feel like one of the cool things about this show is in a lot of ways the movies we haven't seen yeah. are like a huge, it's kind of awesome. Oh, yeah. You know, because every you know, with me with like Judgment in Nuremberg, which right. I hadn't seen before, right. or you would with Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka, it's like, oh, we get someone because I'd seen it over and over again as a kid. Mm -hmm. I have no memory of the first time I saw it. I saw it every year, right, multiple times, and then I hadn't seen it again in like fifteen years, right. And I have another question for you before okay. we get into it. All right, did you believe in Santa? Of course. <laughs> of course until i was like eight or nine i can't remember when the dream was broken but like eight or nine is when i woke up from the dream of santa claus sadly and it was uh, at school someone had said something and i was like what what 
And then all was the it kids, just crushing? Yeah, it was because the kids kind of laughed at me for not knowing by that because I guess they had all been exposed to it by that time, and I just didn't. Well, this is this know. weird thing that we do to kids. It's a coming of age moment. Man. It's like it's like we go here, believe in this thing, and we do all sorts of mm-hmm. stuff with milk and cookies and write letters and and talk about them, and then sure. and then we all know. You know that at some point the bottom is going to drop out. I really debated uh, what to do in terms of jacks. Oh yeah, you're, you're and, done. Yeah, yeah, and um, and it was finally in because I was sort of like I don't like lying to him. Yeah, and it was finally in a conversation with Hoover, who I've talked about on the show. Yes, uh, who's been my partner on the documentary. He's a brilliant guy, raised great kids, great dad, and he is a he talks about his ki- everything to his kids, even when they were little. Talked about racism and terrorism and torture and just always wow. honest with them. And so I went and asked his advice, assuming he would say, no, I don't lie to my kids. And he said, you got to do Santa. Santa's the best. Mm. So much fun. And the thing he said is, he said, the best thing is, is that first you believe in Santa, then you get to be Santa because you get to go out and teach your kids about being charitable and giving to people that are needy. And then you look like Santa (laughs) because eventually you get so old that you got to look like Santa. I was like, okay, that's pretty good advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, For me, um, I am am Jewish. I think this has come up on the show before, but I'm a Jewish guy (laughs) who grew up celebrating Christmas. Um, And it's from a certain generation of reformed Jews that really wanted to assimilate when they came to the United States. And so my parents grew up celebrating Christmas. My grandparents, I think, celebrated Christmas. So even though we went to temple and celebrated Jewish holidays, we had a Christmas tree and the whole thing. But I never really believed in wow. Santa. I don't think. I mean, I don't can't remember for sure. But I have no... For me, it was just... I think my sister believed. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just like a fun pretend game that we all did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like make-believe. Like make-believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about pre-production. Yes, sure. It starts with this uh, writer, Valentine Davies. And he... Um, in 1944, was in a uh, a, sh- a uh, department store and just went, man, Christmas has become too commercial. Wow. Right? In 1944. <laughs> in 1944. Can you imagine what he would think if he saw it today? <laughs> um, and he told his friends... I'd like to see him at his first Black Friday. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he, he went to his friend, uh, George Seaton, who's a writer, and he said, this is a great idea. They wrote the screenplay. The screenplay went to the great Daryl Zanuck. Oh, wow. One of the great producers of all time who produced Grapes of Wrath and How Green Was My Valley and 12 O'Clock High and all, all sorts of films. Right. And he said, this is great. And it, it, he said, let's let's produce it. And uh, the person they really wanted to be in it was Maureen O'Hara. And Maureen O'Hara had come to the U.S. in the early 40s during World War II to be in Hunchback of Notre Dame yeah. with Charles Lawton. And she got trapped in the United States. She's from Ireland and she couldn't go back home. Because of the war. So for like three or four years, she was stuck in the U.S. Yeah. And finally, the war ends. She goes, oh, finally, I can go back to Ireland. She goes back to Ireland. She's there not very long, gets a letter saying, you have to come back to the U.S. to be in, it was going to be called the Big Heart at the time. Mm -hmm. And she said, no way. I just got back home. And then she read the script. (laughs) And she said, okay. Um, Actors, man, we're slaves to scripts. Yeah. If it's good, yeah. you're not a good part. So when you find one, you jump it. You jump at it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they shot it. And this sounds like it was one of those movies where it was lovely. Oh. And everyone liked each other. And it shows. It just yeah. feels that way on the screen. Absolutely. And everyone's having a good time. Mm-hmm. You want to get in the movie? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> we start following Chris Kringle yeah. down the street, Edmund mm-hmm. Gwen, who just played, you know, lots of parts. He's in Hitchcock films. He's just a studio player. He's perfect. He's so perfect, so believable, not an inauthentic moment on screen, and just immediately gives you the right vibe to carry you through the whole movie. He's wonderful. Yep. And, and the first thing he sees is a guy setting up 
a display in a window, mm-hmm. and it is um, reindeer. Yes. And they're not arranged correctly. <laughs> According to Chris Kringle. <laughs> According to Chris Kringle, and he bangs on the window and gets the guy to talk to him, and he says, You've got Cupid where Blitzen should be. And Dasho, oh, Dasho should be on my right-hand side. He should, huh? Yes. And the look he gets from this shopkeeper <laughs> is... You're crazy. Yeah, it's just like like I was. It's just like the "It's a Wonderful Life" moment when the 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 lighthouse keeper or whoever it was. Yes, and about Clarence, the angels. Yeah, and the angels. Clarence starts talking about angels, and he falls down on his chair and then runs out of the place because <laughs> he just because again, but it's crazy. Well, and this is what this is going to be the theme of the movie mm-hmm. is is this guy crazy? Right. And everyone's certainly going to react to him mm-hmm. like he's crazy because believing you're Santa Claus in today's world, well, that's crazy. Right. Um, this is going to be important. Yeah. We go to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, and there we meet Maureen O'Hara. Mm-hmm. She's great. Yeah. I, I love her. Powerful, statuesque, but still warm. Yeah. Powerful, in charge, but still warm. And she is organizing this parade, mm-hmm. and it's she's obviously very competent, as you said. Mm-hmm. And um, and Chris Kringle walks up and sees the Santa. <laughs> this is not a good Santa. Drunk Santa. Bad Santa. <laughs> He's yeah. drunk, bad Santa. Yeah. He helps him out with a whip, and he... Uh, is very, very disappointed with him. Finally <laughs> calls um, uh, Doris Walker, that's mm-hmm. um, Marina O'Hara, over and points her out. She's really upset. It's like, we've got to get some coffee in him. And then it's like, no, that's not going to work. She turns to Chris Kringle. Do you have any experience playing Santa? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He's like a little. <laughs> and, and, and I love his line. I love his line where he says, Madam. Madam, I am not in the habit of substituting for spurious Santa Clauses. <laughs> That's just a great line. Mm-hmm. But he does agree to do it. Yes. And uh, she she kind of, the parade starts, and he's being Santa. Seems to be doing a good job. He's great. He's great Santa. And she heads out because she doesn't really care about the parade. Yeah, and that's a first glimpse into her perception of the holidays, her perception of this kind of celebration of the holidays. She does not need to see it. She's going home to her kid, take care of her child, right. uh, and have Thanksgiving dinner with her child. She gets home. Uh, her child's not there. No. <laughs> Where is her child her gone? Child with a strange man across the hall. <laughs> across the hall. That apparently Maureen Hera has never met before <laughs> and may have seen in passing in the hall or whatever, but he is next door. This is where you she go. She is next door, rather. Things have changed in 70 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Well, and his behavior. Yeah. Which he is. This is uh, um, is Fred Gailey, I think, is the character, and mm-hmm. the actor is John just went out of his my head. Oh, yeah. He's lovely and sweet. Yes. Except that his behavior, looking at it through today's eyes, <laughs> majorly creepy. Yeah, a little creepy. Yeah, I don't want to say majorly because he, he is manipulating the situation to a degree, but only because he, he wants to meet this woman and he, and he actually finds her attractive. Yes. He's not trying to seduce her to have sex with her. He actually wants to date her and get to know her. Absolutely. Right. Well, he, he but is, he is using the child. But uh, I must confess it's part of a deep-dyed plot. I'm fond of Susie. Very fond. But I also want to meet you. I read someplace that the surest way to meet the mother is to be kind to the child. What a horrible trick. It worked. Oh, and we should say, yeah, Susan. Yes. Natalie Wood. The lovely, amazing Natalie Wood. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people are going to get mad at me, but this is one of my favorite performances of hers ever. She is so believable as a child who's smarter than her age. She's older than her age. You know, she doesn't want to buy into fairy tales. She she pushes back at him when Gailey's talking about giants. She 
she knows better. But because yeah. her mom, we find out her mom, Marina O'Hara's character, has been raising her in this way to not believe in fairy tales, not believe in these stories of, of Prince Charming's, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah so because right, he's trying to imagine with her, right. which is kind of what you do with a kid. Yes. You know, like, let's play some And she's having none of it. She's yeah. like, there are no giants. That's not realistic. He certainly is a giant, isn't he? Not really. There are no giants, Mr. Gailey. My mom hired that Santa Claus. He's better than last year's Santa Claus. Right. And uh, uh, Marino Harris shows up. And, and <laughs> this is a great moment where, where uh, Susan goes, Mother, I was thinking, we've got such a big turkey for dinner, and there are only two of us. Couldn't we invite Mr. Gailey? Couldn't we? Well. Oh, don't even think about it. I'll have a sandwich or something. It's an awful big turkey. That's not it, dear, but I'm sure Mr. Gailey has other plans. No, he hasn't. Have you? And puts Doris Marino O'Hara on the yeah. spot a bit. And then Susan totally blows it and says, Didn't I ask all right, Mr. Gailey? Right. And it's right. obvious that he put her up to asking right. him over for dinner. Right. Which, if he wasn't such a lovely, sweet guy, it would be kind of a creep move. Yes. And this guy's great, too. He's fantastic. He's, He's great. Movie. John Payne, I think. is John Payne. Just the right. name, John Payne. And uh, doing just a little bit of research for this, just because I was curious about the actors and the characters in the movie, he said till his death that this was his favorite film. And it said because it is the most authentic he's ever gotten to be about his own personal views on the world in a character ever he is a he's a fun and it's so obvious lovely lightness and the sincerity yes throughout the, the whole sincerity film. is the yeah, thing yeah yeah and 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 she says okay yeah you can come over for dinner right. and then she gets a call from uh the guy the other guy who works at macy's whose name i've also forgotten um, <laughs> okay. um but but i see you have imdb open, i do so i gonna, do i do tell us who it is uh, I don't know if I can... T- oh, Julian? Is it Julian Shellhammer? Is that his I name? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, he calls and says, this is the best Santa we've ever had. you got to yes. hire him. And they say, okay. And, and the we had the bow ties we were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then we go to Macy's, and they're in the locker room. Uh, and this was, by the way, really shot at Macy's in Herald Square oh. in New York. There was some stuff like the the actual where kids were lining up to sit on Santa's lap. That's in Hollywood. Okay. But, but there's a tons of shots... And it was shot around Christmas time mm-hmm. at Macy's in Herald Square, which wow. is a busy, busy place to be. Yes. Um, and we're in the locker room, and there's Chris Kringle, and he's talking to Alfred. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you like Alfred? I love Alfred. Alfred is so great because he's just a regular guy, totally. and he completely believes. Like the, the, he, Chris Kringle is saying very obviously he is Santa Claus in certain interactions with Alfred, and in no way is Alfred going like, "What? You're crazy? Whatever." He just believes, because he's yeah. just a very nice guy who just wants to believe people and get to know people. So, well, and Alfred says, you know, I play yeah, yeah. I play Santa at the Y. Yes. And I love Chris's line. Again, he says, oh, do you have, why do you like impersonating me? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. And and there's not a, there's no speed bump at all. He just goes, oh, well, I like it for this reason. He doesn't go impersonating you. No, right, exactly. He just accepts it. And then in comes the our Macy's representative who wants to give Chris some tips. Yes. For being a Santa. And he says... And the tips are, and so far, Chris's reaction is sort of, oh, tips on how to be Santa. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the tips, of course, are, here are the toys we need to sell more of. We have too many of them. So yeah. these are what to push. Oof. Chris is not like this. No, and he says, this is why I stopped being Santa Claus, because... We didn't say this is why I stopped. Or, or, he says, this is why I'm thinking about maybe my time is over. Yes. Yes, yes. That because of the commercialism. Mm-hmm. And Alfred has this great line. It's like, yeah, there are a lot of bad isms out there, but commercialism is the worst. Right, he has this weird kind of union moment, right? Where he's talking about like commercialism. We yeah. go back to the spirit of Santa Claus. And we got to go right. back to the spirit of Christmas and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. And now it's time for uh, Santa 
to be with the kids. Yeah. And the first kid comes up and he wants a fire engine. And mom is like, no, we can't get it. They, they don't have it anywhere. Yeah. And that's Thelma Ritter, by the way. Yeah. Well, where's she tons, from? Tons of stuff. I've seen her in a million things. A million right? things. I can't, I don't have anything off the top oh of my head. Oh my God. Head. She's so she great. Lots and lots of stuff. She's good. And this is her first movie. What? Yeah. This is her first movie. And, 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 and Santa says, mom is kind of giving him the hint, right? I can't get that fire engine. They don't have it anywhere. No, really. And Santa says, well, I promise you'll get it. <laughs> and she goes, Hey son, get out of the way for a second. And she says, are you an idiot? Mommy needs to thank Santa in her own way. <laughs> yeah. Mama wants to thank Santa Claus too. Say, listen, what's the matter with you? Don't you understand English? I tell you, Macy's ain't got any. Nobody's got any. I've been all over. My feet are killing me. Fine thing, promising the kid. Now, you don't think I would have said that unless I was sure, do you? You can get those fire engines at Schoenfeld's on Lexington Avenue. Only eight fifty, a wonderful bargain. And she's shocked. Schoenfeld's is another department mm -hmm. store. Completely shocked. Macy, sending people to the store. Are you kidding me? Well, the only important thing is to make the children happy. And whether Macy or somebody else sells a toy doesn't make any difference. Don't you feel that way? Huh? Oh, me? Oh, yeah, sure. Only I didn't know Macy's did. Well, as long as I'm here, they do. <laughs> and the Macy's guy hears this. Julian hears this. Julian hears this yeah. and just is like, what? He does great, the great perplexed, like fumbling. Yeah. Or like, oh, yeah. oh, I can't do, I can't do that. And then the next moment, Thelma Ritter comes up and says, thank you so much. It yeah. basically says, I'm going to go to Schoenfield's to get this fire engine. I was never much of a Macy's shopper, but from now on, all my shopping is going to be at Macy's. Right. That's a great little yeah. twist. Yeah. And he goes back to his office, and apparently six more women want to come thank him <laughs> and say how great this new Macy's policy is of and sending people to And he's all stressed out about stores. it. Instead of being yeah. happy, he's all stressed out because he's like, you're like it, they like it, I may like it, but I don't know if Mr. Macy's going to yeah. like it. Yeah. R.H. Macy, but right. who, by the way, died in 1895 or something like <laughs> so that. He the founder of Macy. He was not around at this point. <laughs> and here's an interesting thing Even about better, this movie. Even better, man. Even so better. Macy's, this takes place at Macy, yeah. and it also has Gimbel's, which Gimbel's, is right. Mr. Gimbel, the Gimbel Brothers, That's a real was a real department mm -hmm. store in New York. I've been to They that. needed the permission of Macy's and Gimbel's oh, yeah. to, to make this film. Of course. Macy's and Gimbel's refused to give permission until they saw the movie. Oh, wow. They made the whole movie wow. not knowing if they would be able to release it because Macy's and Gimbel's had to say, right. okay, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. Um, now, Fred Gailey, who has apparently been taking care of Susan, brings her to the store. Yeah. One of the interesting things is the Doris-Fred relationship evolves mm -hmm. totally off screen. Yes. We see it at different stages, mm -hmm. but we never see... The middle parts. It's just, oh, suddenly they're kind of making dinner together. Well, this is what I mean. I mean, this movie, you could you could pick apart this movie to, to pieces mm -hmm. and about the character development, relationship development, whatever, what have you. But because it's a Christmas movie, you kind of give it the space to jump in time. You know, you don't necessarily have to do all the kind of things. That's why I think It's a Wonderful Life is such a such a uh, incredible film because it doesn't do that. It shows you there are gaps in time, but it shows yeah, you yeah. what the progression of that relationship, good and bad. Uh, how it goes down, the roads it yeah. goes down. This, this yeah. movie is light. Yes, you know it's it's yeah. it's light and for it's the fun. most part. Yeah, yeah. It has it it, it has some depth. Yes, to it, it does. But it doesn't have heaviness no, to no, it. No, no, no. If, put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, and he's brought Susan to meet uh, Santa. Yes. Well, young lady, what's your name? Susan Walker. What's yours? Mine, Chris Kringle. I'm Santa Claus. Oh, you don't believe that, do you? Mm -mm. You see, my mother's Mrs. Walker, the lady who hired you. Oh. 
But I must say you're the best looking one I've ever seen. Really? Your beard doesn't have one of those things that goes over your ears. Well, that's because it's real. Just like I'm really a Santa Claus. Oh, go ahead. Pull it. Oh, she's just so great at how yeah. questioning she is of everything. And logical. And just, logical, right. And she's like, well, you look a lot better than the other Santas. And the other <laughs> Santas have these bad beards. And the glasses. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, yeah, and, and then she, and he goes, oh, no, you could pull on it. And she pulls on it, and he has a reaction, which, by the way, he didn't do in rehearsal. He did it on the shoot, and she was surprised. Oh, that's great. And the other funny thing, this is according to several people interviewed about the movie. Yeah. Appar- what they said is Natalie Wood, the actress. Mm-hmm really thought he was santa oh wow and that is in fact a fake beard what yeah it's a fake beard how insane and when at the end of the shoot he took off his beard and she saw him without the beard she freaked out (laughs) (laughs) well we all get the lie shattered to us in different ways man and while (laughs) susan is talking to santa doris sees her yes she's not pleased nope and i had to say something here Please. As a father. As a father. Yes, go ahead. You can disagree with someone's parenting choices. Sure. You do not contradict their parenting choices without permission. Mm-hmm. You, do, you, you, If you don't like a parenting thing I'm doing, you come to me and have a conversation. Hey, why are you doing this thing? Right. You don't take my kid and do exactly the opposite of the <laughs> thing that you know is what I want. Right. That if I'm saying my kid will never have fast food, you don't take my kid to McDonald's. Right. You Just because you think he should. Just because you think he should. Yeah. That that is exactly what Fred has done. Um, and she is not pleased about it. No, and she lets him know about it, too. Oh, yeah. No uncertain terms. Yeah. And she, she you know, doesn't want... She wants her to be sensible. Yeah. Um, and she says, go go away, Susan. Let me talk to Fred for a minute. Um, and, and he says, oh, there's no harm in seeing Santa. And she goes, no, there is harm. But I think there is harm. I tell her Santa Claus is a myth, and you bring her down here, and she sees hundreds of gullible children, meets a very convincing old man with real whiskers. This sets up a very harmful mental conflict within her. What is she going to think? Whom is she going to believe? What do you, what do you, if you say believe in this thing, and then that thing turns out to be a lie, what are you going to believe now? Right. What are you teaching your kid? That's what mom believes. Mm -hmm. And by filling them full of fairy tales, they grow up considering life a fantasy instead of a reality. They keep waiting for Prince Charming to come along. And when he does, he turns out to be a... We were talking about Susie, not about you. Which may have been the first recorded incident of, are we still talking about, or are we talking about you? <laughs> yeah. I love that. May the first, that may be the first recorded incident on a film. Yeah. There's this, this, this Prince Charming thing that she starts to say. Yeah. And it hints that there was a dude mm-hmm. in her life... And something happened, right? Which and and Susan says that like uh, when she's talking to Gailey, like I don't, I never know my father. Yeah. They divorced when I was a child, I was a baby. Yeah. And by the way, the Catholic League gave this movie a B rating <laughs> because it had a divorced mom in it. Because oh, that was not cool. Fuck them. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, weren't you raised Catholic? <laughs> I was. Um, That's why I say that. Now we're at one of my favorite scenes. Mm. We're back to Santa. Woman comes up with a daughter, not oh. a daughter, a little girl who's Dutch. Yes. Obviously had been trapped in, in an orphanage in World War II, finally came over and really wanted to see Santa. And the mom is telling Santa, you know, explain to her that she wouldn't be able to speak her language. Mm-hmm. And she just insists that you're the real Santa. Because she saw him in that parade. She saw him in the right? parade. There's something about him. that she And she knew. knows he'll be able to talk to her. And, mm-hmm. and the mom's going like, I don't know what to do. And... What does Chris Kringle start doing? Hello, ik ben blij dat je gekomen bent. 
Oh, Ben Cinder Claus. Yes, I guess he could. He could visit it, Bill. It was Zeker that he would sabble cryping. Natürlich. Sigma what just a will in heaven, Ben Cinder Claus. This scene, it made me cry. Yeah, it's totally crazy, got me. Right? Because the little girl is so absolutely overwhelmed by his ability to do it. Yeah. The joy in that moment is so big. And who is watching it from the shadows? Yeah. Susan. Yep. And the ra- again, this is where, as you say, Natalie's performance is great. Mm-hmm. Her taking in what she's seeing, you know, and of course we know as, yeah. as filmmakers and actors, she probably was looking at nothing. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And yet her seeming to take in this really transformative moment yeah. of... And it's funny. It just occurred to me. For most kids, you believe in Santa, and then you have this horrible moment where you don't. Right. Hers is the reverse. Hers is the reverse. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. It just occurred to me. Yeah. Um, but now mom's going to give her a speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mom is going to explain very logically and practically why this is just a very, very nice man, but he is not, in fact, Santa. And and she's like, yeah, but the moment that he spoke Dutch and 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 Maureen O'Hara is like, look, I speak French, but that doesn't make me Joan of Arc. <laughs> um, and in comes Chris Kringle, and what does she say? She says, please explain to my daughter that you are not Santa. Well, I'm sorry to disagree with you, Mrs. Walker, but not only is this such a person, but here I am to prove it. No, 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 you misunderstand. I want you to tell her the truth. Uh, what's your name? Chris Kringle. I'll bet you're in the first grade. Second. I mean your real name. That is my real name. Second grade? It's a progressive school. Oh, it's a progressive school. And she immediately is like, get me the employment <laughs> records on her Santa. Um, and this is where you could see she's starting to get worried. Yeah. And honestly, with good reason. You of course. This could be a crazy person. Yeah, we're enjoying it because we're watching it on yeah. August, but in the reality of the film, yeah. it's unsettling. And I love when they get the employment card and it says, the name is Chris Kringle. <laughs> the address is this uh, old folks home. Yes. Uh, in Brooklyn or something. But then it also says, where is he from? North Pole. And it lists his next of kin as the reindeer. <laughs> now you can in, see, order, in order. That they appear... That they, oh, is that the correct yes, order? Yes, it's the correct order. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, on both sides. That's fantastic. Yeah, which is great. Um, but it, Rudolph is missing, so it's interesting. Well, Rudolph is a later invention. Yeah, Rudolph's right. invented in the 50s. There you go. Yeah. That's well. Um, I think. Um, and you can see now Doris is getting to be seriously concerned. Yeah. Because you can't have a crazy per- person with kids on their laps all day, every day. Right. And it says, what does it say? Old folks home or living retirement home, wherever there's an address there. Yeah. Long neck. I remember that in the address. So he does have a base of operations. He doesn't right. have an address. He just has all this going. And then he said old as, as teeth or something like as long as the tooth or something like that. I, I forget what it was. Yeah. Something about his age. Yeah. And now she realized she's going to have to fire this guy. Yes. And right as she's deciding that. Mr. Macy wants to see her. Mm-hmm. And we go up to see R.H. Macy, and he is now on board with this <laughs> Macy's Cares idea. Right. He's like, this is the greatest thing ever. We'll recommend people to Gimbals, and yeah, we'll lose a couple sales, <laughs> but everyone will think of Macy's as the great store. So there's no real noble instinct to it. It's about like, because he throws it away. Oh, no. Right at the end, he says the line, he says, and we'll make more money in that. He just throws it away at the end. And no, it's, well, that's going to come up several that's, times yes. in several situations that yeah. there aren't actually noble instincts. Right. And no, you know what this reminded money. me of, by the way, is uh, the heaven can wait where it's like, why don't we be the tuna company that cares? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of a this is one of those typical Hollywood wanting businesses to be nice things that that's not really very realistic. Right. Um, but he's really excited about this. Yeah, because Julian's been called in there first. Right. And then he he. uh 
uh, Maureen Hara wants to chime in and, and say and correct him and crazy. see what happens. And uh, he's like, no, 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 don't say anything. Yeah. And, and then he was like, well, we're going to get bonuses and we tricked him and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. then you're going to fire him. And she's like, what? You're going to fire him? Because Julian's not really a good guy either. No, no. No, he's scared for his job yeah. and the he middle man cares man. about Macy's and, right. and he wants to sell more toys. And right. yeah, he's not doing this because he's a good guy. Right. I mean, we like him. He's sure. a likable person. He's a decent fellow. Um, and, and and we're in this sort of, do we fire him? Do we not fire him? Mm-hmm. And he's like, maybe he's a little crazy, you know, like painters. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Like yeah. painters are composers. Oh, I think the whole line is like painters, composers, or some of those men in Washington. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> it's a great line. Yep. And then they go, let's have Mr. Sawyer examine him, mm-hmm. who is the, he's not, doesn't seem to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. He's not really. He ends up becoming the villain of the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. by far. Yes. Um, and she tells Chris they're going to keep him on. And, and he kind of says, I'm worried about Christmas. You see, Mrs. Walker, this is quite an opportunity for me. For the past 50 years or so, I've been getting more and more worried about Christmas. Seems we're all so busy trying to beat the other fellow in making things go faster and look shinier and cost less that Christmas and I are sort of getting lost in the shuffle. Oh, I don't think so. Christmas is still Christmas. Oh, Christmas isn't just a day. It's a frame of mind. And that's what's been changing. That's why I'm glad I'm here. Maybe I can do something about it. This one, this scene spoke to me of where I'm at right now in my life because there's a lot of upheaval that is possibly going to happen over this Christmas time. Mm. And I have yet to be in the Christmas mood. Mm. And I don't even know if I'm going to go, be able to go home oh, because wow. of all this unsettled. And I'm so focused on trying to get that squared away that I have not had time to sit and feel Christmas and enjoy Christmas. And we're in the almost the end of the first week of December. And that's, so that's, and that's big for you. Yeah, it is big for me. So yeah. I'm I I'm I feel like I'm wading 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 out of a out of this all this unrest that's happening, this un- instability that's happening to climb out of it so that I can enjoy Christmas this year. So I hope it does happen. I hope we get some answers soon or I make some decisions soon so that I can just be relaxed, accept it and go forward and enjoy Christmas. But yeah. we'll see what happens. This idea of like, what is Christmas? Mm. And it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. And what is the holiday season and what it's about, mm. you know? And, the, you know, obviously both in this movie and our world, the commercial aspects of it are huge. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's yeah. about, but it's it's always about the belief of mankind, the betterness that we, the better versions of ourselves that we can be. And also about being around friends and family, like yeah. friends and family that care. And connect with them again and just enjoy a communal experience yeah. of feeling connected to each other again. Yeah. And that's what Chris wants to bring back. Mm-hmm. That's what he cares about. Yep. And he says this thing, which is, um, he says, And I'm glad I met you and your daughter. You two are a test case for me. We are? Yes, you're sort of the whole thing in miniature. If I can win you over, there's still hope. If not, then I guess I'm through. But I'm warning you. I don't give up easily. Good night. That's sort of, and that's really setting up, this is what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. Can you win these two people over? Right. And she does tell him that he's going to have to take this mental exam. And he goes, oh, no problem. I've taken lots of those. And he recites the answers. You know, mm-hmm. how many fingers you're holding up? Um, who's the president, first president of the United States? Right. Those aren't things that happen in a mental exam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. there's some of them, but that's not really how psychiatry works, even in 1947. <laughs> right. And he says, that's no problem. She, and she calls Brooks Memorial, which is the place that mm-hmm. he's living, because she wants to talk to the doctor in charge to find out, you know, is this guy crazy? In that moment, he's about to believe her and then when he she says you have to take these takes he goes 
All right. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to go through this dance again. Because he's obviously been through this before. Yes. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So we're going to have a mental exam, <laughs> Mr. Sawyer. If you want to call it that. <laughs> Mr. Sawyer is just a horrible, horrible, awful he person. Is. And this does not go well. And 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 as he's answering all the questions, and they seem to be many of the same questions that he anticipated, yeah. he's starting to go, You're rather nervous, aren't you, Mr. Sawyer? Do you get enough sleep? My personal habits are no concern to you. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just that I hate to see someone tied up in... How many fingers do you see? Three. Oh, you bite your nails, too. And Sawyer's like, you're not examining me. And this is, the, he's creating an enemy right here. Right. But Sawyer's not a nice guy. Sometimes people don't want to hear the truth about themselves. Yeah. Because uh, they want to be able to tell you the truth about yourself. And when you turn around them, they get real upset. Yeah. Do you recognize that actor, by the way? No. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He's one of the senators. Will you uh, yield? Will you, you yield? Right? Yeah, totally is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. In glasses. Yeah. Um, and he goes back to see... Uh, Doris. Yes. And there's uh, Dr. Brooks from the... Oh, before you jump on, and we do realize Chris Kringle was right because the quote-unquote psychiatrist's wife calls because he said, "Is are you happy in your, oh, are your right. marriage? And he goes, yes, I've been happy for 26 years. But then as soon as Chris Kringle leaves, the wife calls and she's like, he's like, he's are you, you make do with the money I gave you and oh, an allowance of your idiot brother. So you know it's bullshit. And then he keeps picking at his eyebrow and you can tell he's got the. And then he's the secretary messed. is picking as well because he's turned her into a basket case yeah. with his issues. Yeah. It's so, a terrible thing. He's just a horrible person. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know what? <laughs> like, we trust certain experts. Yeah. To, and maybe some that we shouldn't. Yeah. People are just people. Agreed. Um, uh, so we meet with the doctor um, from the Brooks Institute and mm -hmm. also uh, Mr. Sawyer. Yep. And Sawyer's like, he should be dismissed. He needs to be in a mental institution. He's got delusions. And Andy says this thing, that when a delusion is challenged, someone will become violent. And do you see the way he carries his cane? Oh. And he's already setting up. Oh, yeah, that's right. These things that are going to happen. And the doctor from the Institute where Chris lives, yeah. is like, he's a love. Yes, he's a lovely person. Yeah. And he will never become violent. That's that's not in his nature, right? But I think that's where we get the that the psychiatrist is 
upset that he was able to analyze him so quickly that he can see through his through his uh, lie that this is not a psychiatrist the jig is up right. for this guy and he's very afraid he's going to get exposed by chris kringle and well and what they say about him is you're really just hired to give intelligence exams yeah you're not a he's not a psychiatrist mm -hmm. he's got delusions himself <laughs> and in fact when his delusions are challenged he's the one who's going to be a right. problem right um and then they come up with this idea that just doesn't make any sense at all but you have to have advancing the movie which is well the long train ride is the problem let's get him a place to live in town <laughs> and that will solve him being crazy it doesn't make any sense but they say yes that's a good plan he'll be less crazy if he's more rested yeah i guess that's <laughs> the theory and they go okay well julian you have a spare room and he goes oh okay i'll make the martinis for my wife double strength tonight and get her essentially hammered right um and and then she'll probably say yes to having Chris yeah. come live with us. She's like, what's the, this is the plan here. <laughs> um, and we go back home and Chris is with them. Oh, cause, cause we have to take Chris back to Susan's home yeah. first. Right. Um, because we have to wait till we, Julian's wife gets hammered before we can ask her. <laughs> so Chris is hanging out with Susan while Fred and Doris are now making dinner together. And this is where you see like, oh, apparently the relationship is advancing on yeah, some level. all of a sudden, yeah. And this is where Chris is saying, hey, basically, do you have an imagination? Yeah. And she really doesn't. But what sort of games do you play with the other children in the apartment building here? I don't play much with them. They play silly games. They do? Like today, they were in the basement playing zoo and all of them were animals. When I came down, Homer, he was supposed to be the zookeeper, he said, what kind of an animal are you? And I said, I'm not an animal. I'm a girl. And he said, only animals allowed here. Goodbye. So it came upstairs. Why would they pretend to be? She doesn't even get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, but pretty quickly, he gets her convinced. He does this great speech about imagination. What yeah. if you can imagine that you could fly, that you could be a plane, that you could have gold and jewels, that you live in a castle, all these things. And you see Natalie Wood just moving forward mm -hmm. and getting drawn into his spell. Yeah. And it's, you know, I want to play games with sure. Chris Kringle. Especially that Chris Kringle. And they start doing some monkey. It's really cute. And and Doris and Fred are in the kitchen, and then he comes in to check on them and sees them playing monkeys, and mm -hmm. he's just so happy. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, you know what? Why don't you come live with me? Yeah. You know? why? why? And, and it's so funny. He is such an open guy, his mm -hmm. character, mm -hmm. Fred. He's just like like wants to be friendly and wants to meet people. And he just accepts people really, really quickly. Yeah. You know, lovely, which is, I think why he's in fact not creepy when he right. did the creepy things and the, because he's just a lovely person. Yep. Um, but we still got to get our phone call from, uh, Julian and his drunk wife. And it's a very funny little bit. Yes. It's a funny bit. The phone, the phone yeah. thing. Very funny. Well, phones upside down and yeah. back and forth. And then it's really funny. Doris, who seems to be a very untrusting person and logical, not only is she kind of being instantly friendly with this guy across the hall who mm -hmm. was hanging out with his daughter, but now the crazy Santa, she says, hey, crazy Santa, who I think is insane, put my daughter to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Which he does. <laughs> and it's a lovely, lovely scene. And he asks what she really wants for Christmas. And you can see that she has never told anyone. That. Right. Yeah. This is the first time she's bringing this up. He says, take a chance on me or something like that. Or trust yeah. me. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Trust me. I mean, well. And because this is, this movie hinges on faith. Yeah. On the belief in things where you do not, which are beyond common sense. Mm -hmm. That's what this movie's about. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of levels to that. And this first one is, take a chance on me. Trust me. Right. 
And she reaches into a cabinet and she pulls out a picture of a house. She goes, this is what I want for Christmas. And he goes, oh, you want a doll's house? No, I want a real house. And she describes it with a fence and a swing in the back. And you could see Chris's face of kind of like, I don't know that I can deliver this. Yeah, Yeah. right? And she says, if you're really Santa, you can get it for me. And he tries to explain, just because every child doesn't get his wish doesn't mean there's no Santa. Mm. And you've got a lovely apartment. And and as he's saying this, you see her face kind of fall. And she Mm -hmm. just kind of goes, oh, so I guess you can't do it, huh? And and this is what her belief is hinging on right now at yeah. this moment, which is ironic, isn't it? Commercialism, yeah. Yeah, gifts, I know, right? Gifts equal Santa. Well, and again, it's a little bit. I'm going to say something, maybe a little, a little controversial. Sure. But I had this epiphany about Santa a few years ago as I was thinking through oh. it a lot. Is that in a weird way, Santa is kind of training wheels Jesus. Is that Santa? Is you're going to believe in this thing? Well, thanks for listening to Cinephiles. Yeah. As long as it lasted. <laughs> They're going to burn us to the ground now. Yeah. Well, it is believe in this thing that is going to s- check your sins. And yeah, naughty and nice. Naughty and nice. Points. And you you believe in them despite evidence. Yes. And they are have these magic powers to do things for you if you send them prayers, letters, you know. Um, Good point. <laughs> there's a lot of things where, like, there are parallels between religion yeah. and Santa. Of course. Yeah. And so that the, you know, we, we that's what this movie kind of gets into on some level is this idea of faith, of believing in things where we don't have evidence. Right. And what are the benefits of that? And what are the, how, how does that go against common sense? And how do we reckon with that in our world? Well, if you do the history of religion and pagan rituals, like, there was always a a winter pagan ritual, which eventually became Christmas. Jesus originally was not celebrated as being born on Christmas Day. No, like that was not. he was born in the middle of the year, like in June or something. In the original calendars, it was made out, and then eventually it was moved to coincide with a pagan ritual, and so all yep. of that. Like I'm not trying to like you know I'm trying to discount religion at all because I'm a religious person, but I'm just saying if you do the history and you read the history, it still doesn't take away the truth, but like you can understand why. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. There's yes. nothing wrong with celebrating it once a year, no matter when you celebrate it. No. Right. Well, and, and you know, if you the, really... the, the argument between science and religion or facts and yeah, religion yeah, yeah. is, you know, is as old as religion. Exactly. Um, and... It's a tale as old as time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he says he's going to try. Yes. He says he's going to try. Mm-hmm. And she blows a bubble and then goes to bed. <laughs> um, and he and And he goes to bed looking at the picture. And he's in, I love that they're in twin beds in Fred's apartment. Mm-hmm. And as they're talking, as, as Fred's getting ready for bed, mm-hmm. Chris is looking at that picture and he goes, you know what? You know, I think you're right about Mrs. Walker. A little more effort on your part and she might crawl out of that shell. Take her out to dinner in the theater. Mm, I've tried that. She's always too busy with her job. Whoa, try a little harder. Those two are a couple of lost souls that's up to us to help you. I'll take care of Susie if you'll take care of her mother. It's a deal. They're lost souls. And by the way, that's okay to say. Yeah. I know with 2017 eyes, people might say, oh, that's uh, paternalistic or patronizing or, you know, men men thinking they need to save. But sometimes, regardless of gender, you need someone who recognizes that you're lost or broken or that you're caught in a shell and someone to step forward and take you out of that. And it's not from a place of wanting to own you or possess you or think you're lesser than. It's from a place of like, I care about you and I know you can be happier than you are right now. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I totally agree. I do think this movie came off watching it this time a little paternalistic, mm. a little kind of male dominated. But again, it's this is a 70 year old movie. Sure, sure. You know, I think, you know, but that being, but I totally agree with what you're saying. Everybody needs saving at yeah. some point. Yeah. You know, we all need to be saved. Sure. Now we're now we're back at Macy's and there's this montage of all the people who work at Macy's looking at all the ads of all the other stores <laughs> and they go, oh, go get that at Gimbel's. Go get that at yeah. Bloomingdale's. So obviously this is working in Gimbal. We go over to Gimbal's and Mr. Gimbal <laughs> is pissed off. Oh, yeah. Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> Why didn't we send our business to other places? Right, right. Um, and as true capitalism yeah. becomes a competition between two businesses. Yeah, and Gimbal says, well, let's start doing it and we'll do it at all our big stores. I like we'll do it in Philadelphia. We'll do it in this and yeah. that. Yeah. And Macy's go, well, we'll do it at all our stores <laughs> in San Francisco and San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I love how quickly these board meetings work. Yeah, apparently, which is not apparently. true at all in real life. No. Yeah, and well, back then maybe when R. H. Macy was around, oh, I guess pretty so. fast. Make it happen. Yeah, and now we have this big sort of photographic uh, photo op yeah. with Mr. Macy and Mr. Gimbal and Santa, and I love that he gives Santa a, a, a bonus, a check, a check right in front of Gimbal, and right. Gimbal's like, "Well, I'll give you some more," and Santa goes, "Well, I really want some money to get an X-ray machine," and. And there's this argument of like, well, I'll pay for the rest of the extra machine. I'll give it to you at cost. I'll get it wholesale. Oh, yeah, okay. cost. Yeah. And they're both trying to outdo each other with their generosity. Right. If only things worked like that. Which does not have any kind of nobility to it. It's all a, it's a competition. It's all a ploy. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. still just as commercial. Well, I mean, it, and maybe in this way. is maybe this is in some ways, this is our best bet is try to align self-interest with doing good. Yeah. If that's the way you could get the good stuff done. Yeah. You know, if, if, if like putting someone's name on Carnegie hall or on a, you know, a library or something like that helps you to get the money for the library and it serves their ego. Yeah. Get the money for the library and serve their ego. I guess you're that's right. what you got to do. Um, we're back to going to bedtime with Susan. Apparently this is becoming a regular thing. Um, and he said, uh, there's this moment he says, now, like me to sing you a little good night song? If you want to. Doesn't your mother ever sing to you at night? Mm-mm. Why should she? And I'm like, what kind of mother has this been? Not that every parent has to sing a good night song. No, no, no. But like, she doesn't imagine with her. She doesn't read her. It's been like, this is the hard, <laughs> cold, real world since you were a baby. Right. <laughs> it's kind of rough. Yeah, no games here. Um, and then she blows a bubble. He wants uh, some gum. He blows a bubble. We don't see it. We hear it and see her reaction. <laughs> yeah. Cut to Chris's picking gum out of his beard. <laughs> now we're back at Macy's in the commissary. I love these behind the scenes because that's really at Macy's. Oh, wow. So cool. That's great. Like the commissary for all the employees, which yep. I'm sure is there. Yep. Have you been to the Macy's at Herald Square? Yep. It is big. Yeah. It that is a big place. Massive. Yeah. And Gimbal's. I've been to Gimbal's too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not. Um, and, uh, we're sitting with Alfred and Alfred is talking about, oh, he learned some stuff about himself. Apparently he's got guilt and resentment. How did you hear this? Oh, Mr. Sawyer told me. I see him every day. Yes. What else has he found wrong with you, Alfred? Oh, just that I hate my father. I didn't know it, but he says I do. And he sees you every day? Yeah, I just sit in a chair and say anything that comes into my head. Excuse me, Alfred. A few things have just come into my head, and I'm going to say them. Well, I have some things that have just popped into my head that I yeah. feel like you need to say, and then tears off there. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. He He's goes and confronts confront- Mr. Sawyer yeah. and just lays into him. He really does. Calls him out. Completely deconstructs oh, totally. his, his myth. Are you a licensed psychiatrist? What business is it of yours? I have great respect for psychiatry and great contempt for meddling amateurs who go around practicing it. 
You have no more right to analyze Alfred than, than a dentist has to remove a gallbladder. I beg your pardon. Your job here, I understand, is to give intelligence tests. Passing yourself off as a psychologist. You ought to be horsewhipped. Taking a normal, impressionable boy like Alfred and filling him up with complexes and phobias? I think I'm better equipped to judge that than you are. Just because the boy wants to be good and kind to children, you tell him he has a guilt complex. Having the same delusion you couldn't possibly understand. The boy is definitely maladjusted and I'm helping Maladjusted? Him. You talk about maladjusted. Seems to me that the patient is running the clinic. Here. I won't step. Leave this office immediately. Now, either you stop analyzing Alfred or I go straight to Mr. Macy and tell him what a malicious, contemptible fraud you are. Get out before I have you thrown out. And then he bonks him on the head with his cane. <laughs> Which, by the way, is kind of what Sawyer said he would do. It's an assault. It, and sure. it is clearly, this is assault. It's assault. Absolutely. You can yeah. argue that. I mean, Sawyer's a horrible person. Right. But you shouldn't hit people in the head. Well, also, what is interesting to put pit these two people together, Sawyer is the lie, not Chris Kringle. Right. Sawyer is the lie. Because he's the one that's going to expose him for the lie that he is. Sawyer's not going to expose Chris Kringle. Chris Kringle's going to expose Sawyer, which I love. Yeah. Well, except that's not really what happens. Well, it, but that's what they had the, yeah. the back and forth about. Yeah. And, and of course, Sawyer, as you say, he's the lie because well, when it, Doris comes and looks for him, mm -hmm. he fakes being unconscious. Right. right. <laughs> that look up and then, yeah. yeah, that look up and look down. Yeah. Because yeah. um, now he is scheming to get rid of Chris. Yeah. Um, and again, because Chris sees through his lies. So, and now we, we with Julian, we've got this plan. We're going to get him out of the store on a pretext. Yeah. And they come to him and say, hey, we want you to take some pictures with the mayor. Yeah. And he says he was supposed to meet Mr. Macy because he was going to tell him about Sawyer. Mm -hmm. um, but no, they, they get him outside. They get him to the car. He gets in the car. Sawyer gets in the car. Right. Where to? Bellevue. Bellevue, man. And the look on Edmund Gwen's face, yeah. his face just falls. Mm -hmm. And it's so, and because, and the, the question he asks is, does she know about this? Meaning Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. And yes, we all discussed it. Which is a lot. Yeah. Because she didn't want to have part of it. No, I mean she knew that she knew that stuff had happened. She didn't know right. about Bellevue, but she didn't want she didn't want him to be. No. Yeah, uh, Fred at his lawyer's office gets a call. Yes, to go to Bellevue. He goes to Bellevue, and there is Chris in a robe. Yes, with the crazy people, and he looks kind of crazy. Yeah, he's got his arms folded. Yeah, he's uh, not happy with it. Yeah, and he asked, "Why'd you do it?" Because he deliberately failed the exam. Because we knew that he could pass it. And it's because she had doubts. She didn't really believe in anything. But why didn't she come to me and explain the whole thing? She didn't want to hurt you. But only because I was a nice, kind old man and she was sorry for me. That's not true. Yes, it is. She had doubts. That's why she was just sorry. If you'd been dragged off here instead of me, she wouldn't have been sorry. She'd have been furious. All right, she had doubts. Why not? She hasn't really believed in anything for years. You can't expect her to suddenly... Oh, it's not just Doris. There's Mr. Sawyer. He's contemptible, dishonest, selfish, deceitful, vicious. And yet he's out there and I'm in here. He's called normal and I'm not. And, and Fred is like, well, you're important to a lot of people. Yeah. Like Susie, who are just starting to believe. And he goes, you can't quit. You can't let them down. And he, and, and he kind of stands up and he goes, you're right. Let's get out of here. Yeah. You can't get out of here. <laughs> Because now the doctors have decided you're crazy right. and need to be committed. Because you lied yeah. or you 
failed that uh, that uh, that test. The test, yeah. Now, even in 1947, this is not how involuntary <laughs> commitment worked. <laughs> it was not like you just don't remember the name of the president of the United States and now you're for life stuck in Bellevue. Right, right. It's not actually how it works. <laughs> but that's how it works in this movie. Sure. Macy, Mr. Macy is not pleased. He yells at Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, you got to go fix this. And we or go you're going to get another bonk on the or head. Or you're going to get another bonk on the head. And we go to the judge and the prosecutor guy comes in and says, oh, we got some routine commitment papers for you to sign. He's about to sign him. In comes in Fred, representing Chris Chris Kringle, um, comes in right at the last minute. Again, yeah. this doesn't seem like how a legal system would probably work. <laughs> um, and he requests a formal he- hearing. And Sawyer, this is the last thing he wants. And he right. tries to con- convince Fred, like, no, 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 let's just keep this whole thing quiet. And we'll, we'll pay we'll, you off. We'll pay you yeah, off. Yeah. And, f- and the last thing Macy's want is publicity. And Fred's last moment is publicity. <laughs> what an interesting idea. <laughs> So it's in the newspapers. Doctors doubt sanity of uh, of San- of goodwill Santa. Right, and we get those classic '40s sort of newspaper montages. Yeah, spinnings, yeah, yeah. It's all all great old stuff. And I love the judges at home, and he's talking to William Frawley, yes, Fred Mertz, right, who plays a great cigar chewing political operative tough guy. Yeah, you know, seems like an old school union guy, mm-hmm. and he's saying you um, you cannot commit Santa Claus; it will ruin your career. And I'm telling you, get off this case. But why? Because you're a regular Pontius Pilate the minute you start, that's why. Oh, I don't believe it. I'm an honest man, and nobody's going to hold it against me for doing my duty as I see it. And in come the grandkids. Yeah. Grandma! Grandma! And they walk right by him. They don't give him a hug. They give him the... (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, And I love for all these lies where he's like, I don't know, a habeas from a corpus, but I know (laughs) politics, and that's my bag, and I'm telling you. Yeah, um, Frawley's great. Mm-hmm. He's really, really good. And again, we get to this thing. This is the same thing you said about Macy's. Yeah. The reason that the judge doesn't want to commit Santa has right. nothing to do with um, him being compassionate. Right. It's all political. Which is what, to me, rings hollow about the last part of the movie, the last, the third act of the movie. There's no real, in essence, victory at the end because this is all done for political expediency. It's not done from authenticity. And that kind of bothers me a little bit. Well, it, it's funny because watching it this time, that 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 hits so strongly. Yeah. You know, because I'd watched it when I was a kid. Sure, sure, sure. Because um, when I was a kid, it's funny, as a kid, I was like Chris Kringle's Santa in the right. movie, you know. And watching it now, I was kind of like, oh, all these political and business reasons are allowing him to, con- or why people are... They're not believing. Nobody's believing yeah. he's Santa. Right. They're saying it's expedient or profitable mm-hmm. or politically advantageous to say he's Santa. Right. That is kind of, that's where we were talking like, there's some deepness in here. Yeah. And again, the thing I was thinking about, because there's this parallel with religion, is how many politicians have to prove their religious um, yeah. bona fides to get right. elected. Right. Like people don't get elected president unless they claim to be religious even though we can be pretty sure that many of them probably weren't that religious right you know but that is a requirement in american politics and that's sort of what's happening with you can't say santa doesn't exist and get elected again right that's what seems to be happening no one takes a principal stand here i mean other than obviously uh gaily does but like does he uh, to me he does because i think well we'll get to that yeah okay so we're at trial and again 
Chris Kringle is lovely and yes. smiles at everyone. He takes the sand. He swears, tells the truth. And the judge, you can see him trying to be super nice. Yeah, he's trying to lead him into another area, right? Because he really, and he keeps making eye contact with William Frawley. How am I doing? How am I doing? Because you can't be mean to Santa. And he says, name's Chris Kringle. And he says where he lives. <laughs> or he asks, where do you live? And uh, Chris Kringle's response is great. That's what this hearing will decide. <laughs> and everyone gets a big laugh. And do you believe you're Santa Claus? Of course. And the prosecution rests. Right. They say, that's it. He's crazy. And the judge is like, well, maybe you didn't understand the, the question correctly. And he's like, no, I understand it. Like you're playing Santa Claus. He's yeah. like, no, no you got conf maybe you got confused. He's like, I'm not confused about anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and the defense comes up and says, so the issue is that he's crazy because he believes he's Santa Claus. Yes, that's the issue. Anyone who thinks he's Santa Claus is not sane. Not necessarily. You believe yourself to be Judge Harper. Yet no one questions your sanity because you are Judge Harper. I know all about myself, young man. Mr. Kringle is the subject of this hearing. Yes, Your Honor. And if he is the person he believes himself to be, just as you are, then he's just as sane. Granted, but he isn't. Oh, but he is, Your Honor. Is what? I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. <laughs> so here's, here's, you said before that he is acting um, honorably. Yeah. And, and I think he is. He's a good guy. Totally a yes, good yes, guy. Yes. Does he believe that he, Chris Kringle is Santa Claus? I think he believes that Chris Kringle believes he's Santa Claus. And what he argues is logical. That, and this is what I mean. The film is a little subversive in its way. That every man has a right to decide and every woman has a right to decide who they are in their lives. And he says to him, the judge, he says to the judge, why are you the judge? Because you say you're the judge, and because you've done these things, and then you're, and we... But, right, but who he are is really? the judge. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, he, the has, he has of, the job. He yeah. presides over courts. Right, but he told himself at some point, I'm going to be this, and I'm going to do this, and I am this now. And that's what he's saying. Chris Kringle may have just told himself he's this, or maybe that, but he's allowed to designate who he is. He's allowed to do this. I don't think that's what he's saying. You, I think what, what do you he's, think saying, he's saying. He's saying that he is, in fact, he's going to prove that no, he is No, you're asking me what Gailey believes. Oh, now, I'm yes. telling you what I believe the Gailey believes, not what he's de defending in right. court. Well, this is the thing, is that right. I don't think that he thinks that Chris Kringle is the real Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, because at the end of the movie, yeah. he just thinks he did a great job trying right. the case. He has and a discovery at the end. The reaction of Kane, yeah. Yeah, because he goes, oh, wow, wait, yeah. maybe I'm not as good a lawyer as I thought I was, mm -hmm. which is essentially saying, oh, shit, maybe he's really Santa Claus. Right. Um, so... I think he's come up with a because what Gailey is interested in is the imagination and belief, right? Not necessarily. I don't think he's a guy. Does is he a guy that believes that there's a guy in the North Pole right. who flies around with all the houses on a sled and goes down chimneys? I don't know that he mm -hmm. believes that, right? But that is what he's now said he's going to prove, and the room goes nuts, right? William Frawley is not pleased, mm -hmm. and uh, we cut away, and we're back with Doris. She's read, it's in all the papers. Yeah. He, get, Fred's really excited that it's yes. in all the papers. Again, we get the sense that their relationship has kind of evolved mm -hmm. to a new level they of intimacy. calling her honey and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. they're clearly in a, a, they're clearly a couple now. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't like this idea. She's like, you're not serious about this. You can't possibly prove this. Mm -hmm. And they have an argument. And I think this scene is great. Yes, agreed. I think this scene is really at the heart of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, he's jeopardized his position at the law firm. He's like, oh, I quit the law firm. Oof. He's, he's a, she says he's a nice old man, but you have to be realistic and face facts. 
And he goes, no, I'll just open my own office. Goes, well, what kind of cases you'll get? Well, probably cases like him. Mm -hmm. I promise you, if you believe in me and have faith in me, everything will... And she walks away from him. Mm -hmm. You don't have any faith in me, do you? Which is huge. This is this is big stuff, right? And and this idea of faith and what does it mean? And we, we have faith on a lot of levels sure, here, sure, sure, because we have sort of this idea of like imagination. We have that, right? And we have faith in uh, Santa Claus. Is there really this mystical being that does all this stuff? Yeah. But then we have faith in people, and the movie kind of relates them all. Yep. In ways, I don't know if that they're all exact. They're all very to me. They're all very different things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this moment of. She's like, this is what's practical and reasonable, and this is what we have to do. And he's saying, believe in me. Right. It's not a question of faith. It's just common sense. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Don't you see? It's not just Chris that's on trial. It's everything he stands for. It's oh, kindness Fred. and joy and love and all the other intangibles. Oh, Fred, you're talking like a child. You're living in a realistic world, and those lovely intangibles of yours are attractive but not worth very much. You don't get ahead that way. That all depends on what you call getting ahead. But but once again, it's it's that what we saw from the beginning with her her issues of not wanting to believe in Prince Charming now, and he calls her out. He says to her, you know, the because she's basically saying, just not how the real world works. Right. You have to, you can't throw your career away on a fancy on a flight or a, you know, a, yeah. a, a frivolous cause or whatever. And he says, but I'm doing it for the grander, like there's a yeah. greater purpose here of what I'm doing. There's a greater good. And she says that greater good isn't how the real world works. And he says, you know what? And she goes, and she says, that's not how you get ahead. Right. And then he says to her, look, Doris, someday you're going to find out that your way of facing this realistic world just doesn't work. And when you do, don't overlook those lovely intangibles. You'll discover they're the only things that are worthwhile. And he walks out. Yeah. And damn it, that isn't a fucking great. That's just a great scene. It's great. And it's a stance because he's not insulting. He's not berating her, insulting her. He's saying, these are my beliefs. I see your beliefs. I'm going to tell you in the future, you're going to realize those beliefs, those things that keep you warm, they're not the right things to be believing in because at the end of the day, that is all fleeting. But yeah. believing in people is where the real currency is. Well, and, and in and in kindness and love yeah. and all those things he talks about, yeah. that's what he thinks he's fighting for. And there's a really key line, I think, because you said, she says, that won't help you get ahead. Right. And he says, it depends on what you mean by getting ahead. Yes. That to me, yes. what do you mean by getting ahead is mm -hmm. like one, it may be the most important line mm -hmm. in the movie for me. Yeah. Because particularly today, far oh. more so than 1947. So true. We frame the world as basically... Everyone's goal is about getting more money, and yeah, and becoming famous or whatever. Yeah, and 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 in my experience with people in the world, and I've known people that were quite wealthy, and I've mm -hmm. known some people that were famous. Those things do not bring happiness or contentment or joy or fulfillment. They they the you know people need money, and and the lack of money. There are all these studies about happiness, and what what most of them say is like the lack of money. If you're kind of below the poverty line and always struggling, it's very hard to be happy. Yes, but once you get a sufficient amount. More money does not bring more happiness. Right. And, the, and that there are all these things that give us joy, connection and family and community and, and, you know, the pride in your own work and, you know, and maybe it's going dancing and maybe it's, you know, climbing, rock climbing and mm -hmm. maybe it's playing chess or whatever it is. Those things bring joy. And that's why, like, it, it depends on what you mean by getting ahead. Yeah. You know, it's like if you could figure out what you mean by getting ahead... And what really gives you fulfillment and joy and contentment and a sense of who you are as a person and follow that, that's great. Yeah. But if you're just going, I got to get some money, mm -hmm. it's not going to work out well. Right, right. And that's what Fred's saying in this scene. It's a really, really good scene. I agree. Yeah. 
And then we go to the prosecutor <laughs> and he's kind of, and everyone's attacking him. And his wife is apparently agreeing with the reporters that are attacking him. Yeah. And he says, I have a duty and his son's not very happy with him. Um, and really the truth is he likes Chris Kringle. Yeah. I think everyone does. Nobody wants to be doing this. And there's a, so we're back heading into the trial. Chris runs into Alfred. They have a nice little moment. Oh, so it's good. just very sweet. And then R.H. Macy testifies. And basically it comes down to this question of, do you believe he's Santa Claus? Mm -hmm. And you see in his head. PR. And he, and he sees what would happen if he didn't say <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. And he see, and he says, yes, I believe he's Santa Claus. Right. He perjures himself. In essence. Because it, it seems very clear. He doesn't believe he's Santa Claus. Right. But he wants the world to think he believes that. Mm-hmm. And the prosecutor um, says, look, this doesn't matter. There is no, you have to prove that Santa Claus exists. There's no such person. He doesn't exist. Right. Um, and again, you, you know, again, the, the connections to religion of you can't disprove the existence of God, you know, that sort mm -hmm. of idea, that's kind of related to what's happening. Yeah. And of course, everyone looks to the judge and say, we need a ruling on whether or not there's Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And... Frawley gives the judge a very serious don't do this wrong look and he goes well I'll have to retire to my uh quarters to uh my chambers to to contemplate this and do some research right um and Frawley comes in and says you can't say there's no Santa Claus I don't care what you do with old whisker puss but if you go back in there and rule that there's no Santa Claus you better start looking for that chicken farm right now why we won't even be able to put you in the primaries the whole economy depends upon <laughs> Santa Claus. You get two votes. Yeah, you get uh, your, yourself or your wife, rather, and uh, and the district attorney or yeah. whatever. And that's it. And that's because it. all the people that make toys and work mm -hmm. in stores, and all the mothers of kids, and the grandparents of kids, and all the people that deliver the toys, <laughs> all those people are going to hate you. Right. Again, it's just political. It's a hollow victory. Well, I don't know if it's a. I, Certainly, the reasons that we have a victory are hollow. I don't want to hurt people's feelings who love this movie so much. Yeah. But damn it, it's a hollow victory because there's not really two sides entrenched fighting this out for a judge that's impartial and willing to hear it. It's all slanted so that he can get uh, certified as Chris Kringle. It's well, slanted. Well, except, except what is that is not the victory. The trial is not what the movie is about. The movie is about getting Susan and Doris to believe in him. Sure. That's what we set up. It's a, they say they're the test case. You work on the right. Mom, Susan had already, on. Susan had already crossed that line. She's was, had, she's, she's, she was close, much, I guess. She she's was close. right. Yeah. She's pretty darn close. And Doris was needed a little more time. Yeah. It's not, you know, no one expects the government to actually say they're Santa Claus, right. but, but so the judge comes back, back out. Yeah. And he says he consulted the highest authority, whatever yeah, that means. Whatever that means. Um, and he says the court will have an open mind <laughs> and asks, puts it on Fred. Can you put any evidence to support this, and Fred goes, "Yes, I can." And in calls the prosecutor's son. Yeah. Hello, Daddy. <laughs> this is so great. And he brings him up, and you see the prosecutor just like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" Yeah. Do you believe in Santa Claus, Tommy? Sure, I do. What does he look like? There he is, sitting there. <laughs> Your Honor, I protest. Oh, very old. Tell me, Tommy, why are you so sure there's a Santa Claus? Because my daddy told me so. Didn't you, Daddy? <laughs> the prosecutor's like going, yes. And apparently, according to the guy who played that kid, yeah. he made up that line oh. that daddy told me. Wow. It, it seems weird that that, it's so, 
Yeah. It seems weird that that was a, a line figured out by a little kid on the set, but that's mm-hmm. what he says. Um, and, and he wouldn't tell me anything that wasn't so. Mm. And the prosecutor goes, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> and then bye daddy. And the prosecutor concedes the existence of Santa Claus. Yes. It's really fun. And Frawley likes this. It's funny how big a character he becomes yeah, with his the, presence. In the third part of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now we have the scene with Susan and Doris. Again, it's kind of happened off camera. Yeah. But suddenly Susan starts to say she believes he's Santa. And Doris thinks, perhaps you're right. Mm-hmm. I think he is too. And we don't know why she's now made this transition. Do you think she's made the transition, Doris? Yes, because she really has come to believe this or because she's come to believe that it's important for Susan to believe. No, I think she may, because of what Fred says to her. I think mm. she's had time to think about, to think about it, yeah, about what he said. And, and so it ends up opening her up again because she's been afraid to believe because obviously this guy who left or the divorce yeah. really hurt her, really destroyed her yeah. dreams of a Prince Charming, destroyed her dreams of a life that she was a very happy life she was going to have. And so she needed to believe again, not just in Santa, but in love and happiness yeah. and joy and that it wasn't going to be taken away. And so Gailey has done his due diligence through the whole movie to try to get her to believe, open up and believe right. in her. Right? And so and, I think that's what happens. And she convinces Susan to write a letter. Mm-hmm. She writes a letter saying, I believe in you. Yeah. And then Doris at the very bottom writes, I believe in you too. Right. Really great. It's really great. And we go to the post office where there are all these letters coming <laughs> in for Santa. And, this, and, the, and they start talking about... God, what are we going to do with all these letters? And they find the one that's directed to the courthouse. Hey, that's weird. Why is this letter directed to the courthouse? And then they go, oh, because of the trial that's going on. Mm -hmm. And then this great postman says, guy working in the post office says, Hey, uh, hey, Lou, how many Santa Claus letters we got down at the dead letter office? I don't know. There must be about 50,000 of them. Bags and bags all over the joint, and there's more coming in every day. Hey, uh, hey, Lou. Yeah. Kind of nice to get rid of them, wouldn't it, huh? Yeah, but do you know who that actor is? Because uh, I didn't. I only saw Jack it. Albertson. It is Jack Albertson. Yes. I had no idea until I just was scrolling through IMDb and saw his name. Yeah. Yeah, from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory yeah. and Chico and Fuck the Man. Grandpa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, we go back to the courthouse. Chris is reading the letter, and he's kind of like, "I've won," yeah. but Fred thinks he's failed. Right. You know, like I can't, I can't figure out how to prove you're Santa. Right. And a guy comes in and kind of makes some gestures to some big things and Fred goes out and then, um, the trial has continued. Apparently they started without the defense attorney and the prosecutor is saying, Hey, he's given us no evidence that this is the, uh, that this is Santa. And then in walks Fred. Yeah. And he says here, uh, or first he says, let me tell you some facts about the post office. And he starts rambling off about Ben Franklin and how many letters they carry. <laughs> and the the court concedes that, yes, the post office is a really great part of the federal government. Right. And that it's run very efficiently. And he says, here, here are three letters. And there are three letters uh, addressed to Santa that have been delivered here to Chris Kringle. And he goes, well, three letters aren't proof. And, and, and Fred goes, well, I do have some more proof. And the judge says, yes, bring it all here. Put it on my desk. Are you sure you want it on the desk? Yes, yes, yes. Put it on the desk. And in comes the parade of mail sacks. Right. Um, it's almost like the opposite moment from Mr. Smith yeah. goes to Washington. Yeah. That Mr. Smith is here. I'm going to crush you with these letters. These and it's fake horrible. Letters. Yeah. No, those are real letters in Mr. Yeah, Smith. Yeah, but they've made people write them. Yes, yes. That's what I mean. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. I'm not sure which letters are fake faker. news. Faker, the letters to Santa or the letters. Well, the letters to Santa are written from a pure place. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. I shouldn't have even said that. So how dare you? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> fake letters. Hashtag fake letter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and they dump all these letters on top of the judge's desk. Yeah. And I love, I love there's a great rack focus to his face. And the judge says, uh, Since the United States government declares this man to be Santa Claus... This court will not dispute it. Case dismissed. Wow. And we win. That's right. What an incredible cop-out. What an incredible cop-out. <laughs> it seems a bit... It's a, that's the thing about this uh, movie. is It's really enjoyable. And then that ending, there's no morality to it. Like, the judge isn't, like, taken over by some sense of nobility or morality or sense of doing the right thing. It's pressure from his family. It's political pressure. It's the desire to retain his job. And then he finds his cop out with those letters and with that. Well, what uh, is the right thing? The right thing would have been if his heart was legitimately moved in a certain way to believe this man is Santa Claus or to believe that he has a right to exist and call himself Kris Kringle because it's his own personal belief and not pressure from William Frawley from uh, Fred sitting in the so wait, gallery. So you think the only way out of this is if people... If this judge yeah. in the Supreme Court of New York sure. actually believes that there is a real Santa Claus who lives at the North Pole, who flies around on Christmas Eve and delivers presents. No, no, no. That's too uh, outlandish. What I think is he has the right to say this man has a right to call himself what he likes to call, what he would like to call himself. He has a right to self-determination. And I think that's what, that is what Fred is saying. Fred is saying the man has a right to self-determination in essence, and the judge is taking away his right to self, or the judge has to decide his right to self-determination. Because he can say, I'm from the North Pole, and this is my address, and I'm Chris Kringle, blah, blah, blah. And if the judge says, that's right, you have a right to call yourself that, which is what Fred's argument was. How do we know you're the judge? Because you went to, you say you're the judge. No, but Fred's argument, but, but he is the judge. I mean, like, the whole, the argument is based on, I mean, this man has a degree, he does yeah. this job, he right. goes to this, you know, like, he is who he says he is. Right. And... Fred's argument is that Chris Kringle is, in fact, the one and only Santa Claus. And so... Well, I think Fred's argument is that he can say he's the one and only Santa Claus. No, that is not the argument. No, that's your interpretation of the argument. He the argument literally I hear says, I'm now going to bring back the quote yep. where he says, I will prove that this man is the one and only Santa Claus. Okay. And if he is the person he believes himself to be, just as you are, then he's just as sane. Granted, but he isn't. Oh, but he is, Your Honor. Is what? I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Because, and here's the thing, is that the judge and everybody else in this situation is in a trap. And the trap is, is that, and now this is a sort of a silly trap because I don't believe this is realistic. Mm -hmm. If he continues to say he's Santa Claus, he must go to Bellevue and be committed for the rest of his life. And right. nobody wants that to happen. Everybody thinks that is wrong. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to find a legal way to get out of the trap. A loophole. A loophole. Yes. And so, to me, it is the moral choice to say, okay, you're Santa Claus, even though nobody in this movie believes that. Wait, but he didn't do it from a moral place. He does it from a place of afraid to lose his job and the election and blah, true. blah, blah. Absolutely So there's true. no morality here at all. At all. It's all the fix is in. The fix is in. For a good cause. Well, sure, but it's still a fix. Where's the morality in that? <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, everything you say is true. That is all true. All I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Look, I, if I know a team cheats and they cheat to win, and then I cheat to beat that team that cheats, who is better here? I don't think that's a good analogy. I think it's a perfect analogy. I think we're talking about a nice old man who's going to get put away for the rest of his well, life. Sure, that's when you break it down. But f Fred, 
does not believe he's that. That's a, you asked me this earlier, didn't you? Like, yeah. Do, do you think Fred thinks he's Santa Claus? And I said, I don't think Fred thinks he's Santa Claus. I think Fred thinks he has the right to say he's Santa Claus. I think Fred thinks he's a nice old man that we're better off having him around right. thinking he's Santa Claus. He's not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so and I guess, yeah, I agree. He has the right to say that he's Santa Claus. That's all. And Fred is not, because Fred doesn't even believe he's Santa Claus. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Either way, the fix is in, in my opinion. And, and I don't mean to ruin this movie for anybody else. And of course, Steve, more than welcome to your opinion of it, but I just think the fix is in. And it takes away from me a little bit of the magic of the movie that I. No, you, I think you're right. right. I actually agree. They're doing that. Everybody, R.H. Macy, the judge, uh -huh. district attorney, William Frawley, all these people are doing what they're doing for cynical reasons. Right. But I also go, like, well, what else are we going to do? Because we don't want to put this guy away in Bellevue. So what's, so what's our solution? You know? Yeah. The, but but you're right. I just think the movie could have written a better solution where the judge, even with the pressure, actually has a crisis of con conscience mm. and says, irrelevant of what, like puts his family in it, in their place and says, you don't get to tell me how I judge or blah, blah, blah. I have to make the decision. Maybe he has a speech with his daughter or his kids and says, listen, I understand why you're upset, but this is why daddy does what he does because of this, this, and this. And and then he has it. Then his family understands his decision. And then also with Fred, maybe he pushes back Fred, Mertz, whatever his name is. It's, it's sure. William Fra oh, is it William Frawley? William Frawley. Yeah, yeah. Frawley's political uh, intimidation about the unions and all this stuff right. and says to him, I don't care about the unions. My job is to serve the city, the state of New York and to serve the people of this country and of this state and this is what and i have to live and die by the my decisions from my own belief that's why i was elected to this position to give my opinion on this so I, I, there was there was another way out of this that i right. think would have been morally uh more correct for a christmas movie for this particular character you, you know what's occurred to me because I, I think everything you're saying is accurate mm. is that you know, we talked about a comparison with It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because they're both sort of the classic black sure. and white Christmas films. Mm. And now I'm actually thinking, you know what's almost a better comparison in some ways is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It absolutely is. And and part of it is is that the character of Mr. Smith is a completely idealistic, mm. doesn't really understand how the world works, believes in all these things that people give lip service to, yeah. but don't really believe is reality, placed in a very, very dark and cynical world. Yeah. And in some ways, that's what's happening here. And it's funny that we even have all the letters coming in <laughs> which happens at the end of mr smith is yeah. that is that the world all the businesses and everyone including doris are cynical people right and here we put this completely uncynical naive person into that world and see what happens but i also but i also think the difference is that jefferson smith fights to the end sees the corruption and right. still fights to the end changes gene arthur's opinion yeah. of the whole situation claude rains tries to commit suicide yep. because of the crisis his own crisis of conscience and uh, things have changed things are changed from this uh, this stand he yeah. makes yeah. So, yeah all right but yeah uh we find that he is in fact santa claus and there's a kind of a lovely moment where uh uh, Chris has, has this moment with Doris where he thanks her because for the letter, because in a lot of ways, him getting the letter saying, yeah. I believe in you too, yeah. that she and Susan both believe, that's the real triumph mm -hmm. for Chris. It's not Absolutely. the court case. The court case isn't the thing. And he says, oh, come back. To, why don't you come tomorrow, Christmas Day, uh, to the Bricks home where he lives? Mm -hmm. We're having a party. And she goes, oh, well, why don't you come tonight for Christmas Eve? And he's like, I can't tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Which sort of makes me wonder, where does Chris go? Chris goes to deliver the presents. Apparently. Clearly. Um, we're at the Brooks home, and Alfred and Chris, both dressed as Santa Claus, are giving out the presents. Susan runs in, goes straight for the tree. What's she looking for? Her house. Right. She's looking, she, 
It's been proven that this guy's Santa Claus, therefore she has to get what she asked for. And there's a great shot where the doctor who runs the the Brooks home walks up and sees that mm-hmm. x-ray machine. And his face is just perfect. Yeah, man. And, and he says, you know what? Chris, all I can say is the state Supreme Court declared you to be Santa Claus. And personally and professionally, I agree with him. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great, great moment. That's the moment. Oh, it's great. It's beautiful. And unfortunately, Susan doesn't find that present. No. And she's disappointed and upset. And Chris says, you know, apologizes. I'm really sorry. And she, and Susan says, You couldn't get it because you're not Santa Claus. That's why. You're just a nice old man with whiskers, like my mother said. And I shouldn't have believed you. That's rough. It's tough. Yeah. And, uh, and her mom says, I was wrong when I told you that, Susie. You must believe in Mr. Kringle and keep right on doing it. You must have faith in him. And, and then mom says to her daughter what Fred said to her. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Mm-hmm. And Susan is, she's on the fence. And then there's a really strange moment where Chris says to Fred, hey, here's some directions on how to drive home. And he gives them a little note. They'll miss some traffic. And we cut to the car. And uh, they're driving, trying to follow Chris's directions. And Susan is saying, I believe, I believe, mm. I believe. And then suddenly she yells, stop, Uncle Fred, stop! They stop the car and she runs out of the car up to a house with a for sale sign is in, in front of it, which is the exact house that was the picture that she had given to Chris right. earlier. Incredible. Um, and she runs into the house and Doris and Fred are going, what the heck is going on? Right. And uh, they go into the house and she yells, this is it. This is the house I wanted. She, she's the one she asked Mr. Kringle for. And she's walking around and she runs upstairs and finds a room and she finds the swing in the back and everything is perfect. Um, and then she just says that she says what Doris just said to her. Oh, you were right, Mommy. Mommy told me if things don't turn out just the way you want them to the first time, you still got to believe. And I kept believing, and you were right, Mommy. Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. And Fred looks at Doris. And this moment, it's, it just makes me cry. Yeah. Can't help it. Because he, he goes, wait, you told her what? <laughs> because then there's something about hearing that... It, this is just good screenwriting too. Yeah. Is that if she had told him, I now agree with you, that would not have been as dramatic as him hearing it from Susan. Right. Yeah. That's what really, really gets you. Especially because Susan is the one who he, uh, in essence, used at the beginning of the movie to get a dinner date with. <laughs> oh, that's a great point. Yeah. It just, it totally. just, it just is a full it circle. It brings it around full circle. Yeah. And then there's a great, and then they just kiss. Right. And there's a first kiss I think we see between the yes. two of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he says, you know, we've made all these plans. The house is for sale. We wouldn't want to disappoint him. And they're all really happy. And then there is this moment where he looks and Fred looks in the corner. Yeah. And there is the cane. There's the cane. And, and he, he is yeah. like, you don't think yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and this is, so here's a question for you. <laughs> yeah. Is the movie telling us that Chris Kringle is in fact Santa Claus? I think the better thing to think about this movie is to not have an answer for me right it is more about what the theme of this whole conver- of the of the what she says um of what fred says doors first and then what doors says is this idea of having faith right uh, what is it what is it having faith when others don't believe or what is it? When, when common sense tells you not common sense tells you not to and that's what it was that's what this movie is really all about is right. having faith when common sense so common sense you look at that cane Common sense, though. There's no way 
How could it be? But it doesn't matter because what matters is the house. What matters is that they're going to be together. What matters is the room is set up the way Susan wanted. What matters is that uh, there's hope and possibility for the three of them as a, as a new family. Right. And that's what's really important. Who cares if he's Santa Claus or not? It's, it's funny. When I was a kid, yeah, because I watched this movie a bunch as a kid, there was no question that he was Santa Claus. <laughs> of course he, that's what the movie, of course he was Santa Claus. Right. The cane proved he was Santa Claus. Right. And now watching as an adult, I'm like, well, there's no question that he found the house and he gave the, them the directions, especially to go there. So he had been to the house, so he right. could have left his cane. And now watching, I go, no, everything in this movie says that he's not Santa Claus, mm -hmm. that he is. But I kind of like your answer better, mm -hmm. which is that we get to just live in this mystery, mm -hmm. you know, and get to play with this idea of faith. Um, so a couple of things about finishing this movie. I know I said when we started yeah. that the two people that had the right to end this film are Mr. Macy and Mr. Gimbel, or really the company's Macy's and Gimbel's. Fortunately, they love the film. So we did, so it did get to go on. But then Daryl Zanuck liked the movie so much that he said, we need to release it in the summer because that's when movies make more money. What? Yes. So he they decide to release it in the middle of summer. Oh. And then they say, well, it's going to sound weird releasing a Christmas movie in the summer. So they took all Christmas out of the marketing. What? So if you look at the original poster, there's like a picture of, of Fred and uh, Doris and Susan. And in the background is this old man with whiskers. But there's no Santa Claus, no mention of Christmas, nothing like that. And the trailer, which, uh, which I post put up on the Facebook page, yeah. you can find it on YouTube, is the weirdest trailer I've ever seen. It's five minutes long. Five minutes. And it's people walking around on the back lot of the studio saying, hey, have you seen that new mo movie Miracle on 34th Street? And Rex Harrison goes, oh, I love it. A great man's picture. They go to a, a woman and they say, have you, who, I can't remember the name of the actress. Yeah. Have you seen? She's like, oh, it's a great woman's picture. Oh, it's a great comedy. Oh, it's a great drama. And nobody says what the movie is. And there's no footage from the film. It's totally bizarre. <laughs> um, Literally word of mouth. Literally word of mouth trailer. Word of mouth trailer. They release it in the summer. Fortunately, it stays in the theater six months. Wow. So it ends up playing over Christmas time anyway because it's that successful. Did they adjust the marketing? Do you know? I don't know. I, I wonder. Don't. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so bizarre. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, uh, it's nominated for uh, four Oscars and it wins for best screenplay. And of course, very deservedly, Edmund Gwen wins for playing Chris Kingle because he's just great. Really authentic. Yeah. Uh, there were lots of remakes. There's two yes. TV remakes. Mm -hmm. There's the Richard Attenborough remake, which I think John Hughes wrote the script for. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those movies that was colorized, you know. But but despite all the remakes, we just go back to the original. Yeah, I was flipping actually it was flipping channels the other day and I stumbled upon the colorized version. Hmm. I didn't even think they still showed that. People still like them. No, yeah. they still get released. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't either. If they ever touch Kane on. Yeah. If they ever did they try to colorize Kane? There was talk of it, but oh, nobody, I, I don't think anyone ever did. I had to set the studio on fire. Yeah. That is an untouchable film, damn it. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, to me, like, you can improve a film, but don't change it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. if you want to remaster Kane and make it uh, get a perfect, beautiful print, sure, sure. that's right. fine. Mm -hmm. But don't add color. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny, this becomes one of those movies that plays every year that people return to again and again. Mm. Um, so what are your final thoughts on Miracle on 34th Street? I would say it was, a, it was great to finally watch it for the cinephiles. Like, uh, it had been something that has been, you know, we all, all of us as film lovers have 
like a ongoing organic mental list of movies that we have to right. get to at some point. And and in some of us who really love film, it's you got to be in the mood for certain ones. And oh yeah, I think kind of finding the right mood for this as we're into Christmas. Uh, was the right time to watch it and be able to talk about it with someone like you who's seen it so many times and right. knows it so well. It was nice to be able to discuss the film from a different perspective. Uh, like me only have seen it once and you haven't seen it so many times. It's nice to have that little back and forth about it. But I would say this is a very enjoyable film, a very sweet film and some really fantastic performances, which sometimes you don't always get in Christmas movies. These kind of like deeper, darker, more layered performances. Natalie Wood is incredible in this movie. Maureen mm -hmm. O'Hara, just fantastic. Uh, and so... To me, this is what is so enjoyable about the film and the message itself. Just that message about faith. When you don't have when you don't even have to, or when you can, or when you shouldn't, or when you a common sense tells you not to, having faith in something. I think that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about Santa delivering presents. It's having faith in a mankind and what we talk about, that possibility that there is peace among men and women and the possibility of having a better future, a better existence. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. It isn't uh, gifts or money or presents. It's about coming together as a family and as family or coming together as friends and like really cherishing that. And that is something that you have to have faith in will always be there because it's, it's what I think it's what drives the world and what drives us as humans to exist in the world. It's so funny because I think if you were going to, you know, get teams together and you would put together team faith and team common sense, <laughs> the odds are I'm going to be on team common sense. Mm. You know, I'm an atheist. Sure. I love science. I love logic. And yet I, on this case, I'm really on team faith. And it's funny, the thing that keeps popping in my head, which is a weird thing, but is that um, Apple computer ad in the Think Different campaign, which is the here's to the crazy ones, mm. which is one of the great ads of all time. And it shows all these images of these, you know, geniuses, Pablo Picasso and Gandhi and Albert Einstein. And, you know, it's kind of talks about these are the people that didn't fit in. They're weird. They believed in strange things. And the last line is something like, and maybe I'll just play it. It is the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Now, that's a really profound line. And I think about the world that we live in, which, you know, doesn't it feels like there's a lot of conflict and a lot of anger and a lot of people going, not trusting each other. Mm -hmm. And the thing that Fred says is that you have to have faith in me, have faith in your fellow man, mm -hmm. is that the idea of believing in Santa Claus is totally ridiculous. Right. We all know that isn't true. But the idea of kindness and compassion and trust of other people, if we don't have that, everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. Even when all of common sense says, I shouldn't trust anybody else, mm -hmm. you have to. Because if you don't, what do we have? We have nothing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What's the point of life? Yeah. Honestly. So... That's what we think on Miracle on 34th Street. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. As always, you can reach us on our Facebook page at The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us all sorts of places if you want to. <laughs> on YouTube, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Spotify now. Um, please subscribe there. Leave comments on YouTube. Leave reviews on iTunes. If you want to support the podcast, you can do it on Patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. Um, you could suggest a movie there. We have lots of good conversation, extra audio things for you to listen listen to there and as always you could buy miracle on 34th street or any other movie we've ever talked about on our website cinephiles.net and 
as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? Very well done, my friend. Very well. We're worldwide. We're worldwide. You can We're surprise everywhere. All over the, all over the yeah. place. So it's always great. Uh, yeah, you guys can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And yeah, let me know what you thought about the movie. And if you thought we really did a good job breaking it down or if we missed anything. It's always fun to have those discussions on Twitter. Well, I'm sure we always miss some. <laughs> well, you got to. Yeah. Uh, and that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Yeah.